0: The Doctors' Eyes Only podcast community knows that life is multidimensional and creating Wealth That Matters goes beyond the balance sheet. Join us twice monthly to hear from inspirational physician guests and subject matter experts with unique insights for physicians in both life and business. Glean clear takeaways to improve your life and medical practice starting today and leave inspired to live your own Wealth That Matters.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Doctors' Eyes Only podcast. I am your host, Cameron Helmuth, and with me today is my co-host, Lauren Oshman. Good afternoon, everyone. Really excited about today's episode. So we get to talk to a doctor that is out walking the walk and advocating for some really important issues facing medicine today. These are some things like healthcare disparity, youth education, education. And what I think is the most important is the decreasing number of minorities, specifically Black men, entering medicine. So Dr. Stephen Noble is a self-employed cardiothoracic surgeon from Portland, Oregon. Today, he's in Virginia. He's bouncing back and forth a little bit. But he's an entrepreneur, an activist, an author, a Navy veteran. The list just goes on. So Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Hey, Cameron Lowen. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: Absolutely. So can you expand a little bit? I think your background is so fascinating. Can you just tell us a little about uh, your background, maybe some of your education and how you got where you are today?
2: Yeah, perfect. Uh, originally from Portland, Oregon, my parents and grandparents moved out to uh, the Pacific Northwest during the, great, the second Great Migration during the 40s. Through my father, we moved around quite a bit. So I went to high school in the Midwest in in Toledo, Ohio. Then as a kid, I always knew I wanted to to go into medicine. So I went to Xavier University uh, of Louisiana, HBCU in, in New Orleans, Louisiana. After that, went to Indiana University for grad school, stayed there for medical school. knew I, during residence, or excuse me, med school, Found my love in general surgery and decided to go back home to Portland, Oregon at Oregon Health Science University, did training my general surgery training there during med school. I took a scholarship with the Navy, so that led me to spending two years in 29 Palms, California, with the Marines at one of the largest active live fire training centers uh, in the world, spending two mm-hmm. years there with the Marines, and then going to fellowship, basically specialty surgery and heart and lung surgery at the Ohio State University for two years, then went back into the Navy for three years and got out in 2018, and I've been on an interesting ride ever since.
1: So I got to ask real quick, I, In another podcast, I heard you say that you knew you wanted to be a physician early, like you just mentioned, but you didn't have the the doctors in your family growing up. Where did the passion come from or where, do you remember when you knew that you wanted to be a doctor when you grew up?
2: Oh, vividly. I, I remember <laughs> being in my grandparents' living room, just laying on the floor looking at the encyclopedia that they had, and they had this encyclopedia in which you could, overlay the different organ systems, the skeletal system was first, and then you could overlay the, the, the cardiac system and then the nerves and everything else like that. And I was just really fascinated with the human body. And I, w- I remember just asking family members, why did this happen? Why did people get old? Why did, why did people have wrinkles? And it was really just that quest for knowledge and just being inquisitive. And that really led me to medicine. And as you mentioned, there were, I, I didn't have any physicians in my family. Both my grandparents, and my grandmothers worked on worked at the, the, uh, on the Hill, as, as they call OHSU or uh, Oregon Hospital at the time. One was a nurse uh, in the cardiac center, and then the other worked in the cafeteria. And so they encouraged me, but not having any physicians, my, my parents were really good about setting my path with mentors. So I had mentors that I, that I would shadow and follow as I was growing up that really kind of showed me the ropes and, and, and kind of interest, introduced me to the field of medicine. So that was very important for me to, to getting onto that path and staying on that path. was what, finding mentors. That's so cool.
3: I totally forgot about those pages in the encyclopedia. My grandmother had a set I of know. encyclopedias and I'm remembering those as you're talking about flipping through those transparent pages. <laughs> That's so it fun. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit, Stephen, about some of what you had shared in our prior conversations or just the role that you feel healthcare serves in bringing people together rather than tearing them apart. Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think it plays a critical role. At the end of the day, we're all flesh and blood. And I think that in healthcare, we find people at their worst. And oftentimes, they're most vulnerable. And I think these are the times in which the acts of humanity during these moments in which you're, you're healing people for whatever ails them, it's, it's these uh, moments of, of vulnerability where these acts of humanity can really uh, break through some of the barriers that, that we have as, as human beings. One of the heroes that I have, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, uh, 130 years ago, almost to the date, started the first interracial hospital in the United States. And it was a, a situation in which he just realized that the care was such that there was such a great disparity that there was no reason why one group of people were able to be treated at a hospital and another group weren't. And so working with others, working with, you know, cross cultures with black physicians and white physicians, he created this hospital uh, in Chicago in 1891. So uh, it's, it's really a testament as to how. We as a com- community to come together over a common sort of uh, a enemy, whether it's COVID-19 or, or just other cancer or other diseases that affects us. I think that healthcare has the opportunity to really bind us. Unfortunately, we see these disparities and, and, and it's really about addressing those disparities so that we can see the humanity in each other. And I think when we see the humanity in each other, that's when the empathy starts to take place and you really start to see change.
3: Yeah. And there's that shared purpose which is key to bringing people together in a cause.
2: Oh, definitely. And I think that uh, people coming together for health, I I think it's something that we all have a a shared purpose. I think it's it's something that's just innate and as far as survival. And I think that helping each other uh, in doing that, especially when you find people at their their worst really helps that. And so whether uh, it was working at the VA and and really interacting with people that seem different than me, what you find is that at the end of the day, most people do find that, you know, they just want to get better. And so they really want, and so it offers that opportunity for you to, to meet people uh, on a common level. And and when you're able to meet someone on a common level, you're able to have those conversations and realize that there's a lot more that binds us together than uh, separates us. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Now, when we talked last time, Stephen, you so obviously as financial planners we always want to talk about the plan the long term you know let's let's make some of these long term plans but you have to have the short term as well you have to balance the two so as a physician obviously you're in a world where schedules can absolutely rule your life and you talked about being very intentional about having these 3 5 10 year visions for yourself personally and professionally and spiritually so can you tell us a little bit about Why is that so important and how has that kind of helped you maybe navigate your career and some of these things that you're passionate about?
2: Yeah, it's, I guess as a kid, I always, you know, I try to fight the type A personality that I just naturally have. Uh, (laughs) I feel that if you have- That's a hard battle, man. It is, it is. And and often a losing one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, you know, it really comes down to, you got to, you got to oftentimes what can be a weakness as your strength. And so I really, I really try to fight that, but, but, it, but I engage it as, as, as well as I possibly can. And to that point, having a vision as far as what, uh, success looks like or just having a vision for my life, you know a vision board or, or saying where do I want to be is important because it gives me a sense of direction and purpose. The other thing it does is it helps me plan and I'm a person that I feel more comfortable just in life when I have a plan. when I have a sense of direction and purpose and know where I'm going, I can really put the blinders on to certain other aspects of my life and just really zero in and focus. And so to that point, just really, I think growing up and, and coming up in, in, in medicine, oftentimes that plan was really solely focused on the next stage of my educational career, mm-hmm. high school to college, college to grad school, grad school, med school, so on and so forth. As I got married, had kids, and really the family started to grow into spiritually, I, it became apparent that I need to expound that and, and really go with a focus of just really faith, family, and culture you know, really making it a plan, just really having spiritual devotion and, and really having that, that, that faith. My wife is, is by far the, my biggest sort of, she's my mirror. And so she mm-hmm. uh, really holds me accountable. And so I, I appreciate her for that. And really as, as a family, we try to leave that together as far as doing those things, as far as planning. And then culture, I think uh, as far as giving back, I I think it's important. So to that point, really just trying to make sure that I plan in such a way in which those things are covered as well as financially tithing has always been a a big part of the faith and and family and and just really giving back when when, when you can, no matter if it's time, talent, or treasure. Mm.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's that's
3: great.
1: Yeah. I I was going to ask a a quick follow-up question. So families, this is always, we get a lot of questions about this from our physicians. Obviously, again, the doctor's lives can really dictate the family around it and how, you know, they have to adapt essentially to the doctor's life. So how did you start bringing that conversation up with your family? Was it your wife kind of holding you accountable saying like, Hey, we need to talk about this. Or was there uh, some sort of process you went through, or some, I mean, I'm just curious in the exercise that you went through. If there's another doctor listening, they could take away.
2: Yeah, it's it was probably the latter. I mean, honestly, it was really my wife, and, and God bless her. I think growing up in the in the noble household, you know, we as noble men are are. My grandfather was a merchant marine, so he was always off away at sea for nine months mm-hmm. out of the year. So my father just you know was was you know was really individual that really focused on uh, school and education. And uh, with the MBA from Chicago, that was one of the things that was passed on to us as far as uh, really hitting the ground hard as far as education. And so really being focused has its pros and cons. And so I think the balance of that is my wife. She's uh, almost the complete opposite of me. And and that's the, the beauty of it. And so she holds me accountable as far as ensuring that I take the blinders off and really Take a look around and, and understand and appreciate what I have, and I think that's one of the benefits of of, of being of, of having a partner to walk this journey, to walk this path. Because I know that with my Type A personality and with the blinders on, I can become so zeroed and laser focused with one particular task at a time, and that has been uh, has brought me success in some aspects of my career, but in other aspects of my life, things have suffered. I'd be the first one to say that I, you know, am not the perfect husband or father but progressing and trying and and each day it's like you know i try to do better and so it is really a matter of trying to balance it all balancing it all but i wouldn't be able to do it without the uh, support of my wife we have five kids uh five kids and one grandchild and so she is the 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 centerpiece of our of our of our solar system i mean she is literally the the sun and uh, everyone else uh, revolves around her so all credit really goes to her as far as really keeping us tight and close because With the Navy, we moved around, I deployed. And so it was really hard for the family and oftentimes made those life decisions based upon my career and what the Navy had to do uh, rather than the other way around.
3: Yeah. No, that's, I, I love hearing you speak about how important it is to have that support system around you and also to realize that it's a journey, right? You're not going to get it right every day, (laughs) but you want (laughs) to look back and certainly don't want to have that regret. Like, oh my gosh, why didn't someone tell me? You know, you're really tackling it, trying to be better each day than you were the last. And that's the best any of us can try to do.
2: Oh, definitely. And, and again, all, you know, having that, having what I tell my mentees, the power of positive peer influences. And my wife is one of those uh, positive peer influences that really is able to, to, to hold uh, me accountable. And that's the other great thing about having a plan. Is with that plan you can you can find you, you're able to hold yourself accountable. My wife likes to uh, always get on me about my check box sort of mentality about checking the boxes, but I use that as as a means of holding myself accountable, and that's kind of how I've. I've always done things throughout life as far as, you know, looking back, reviewing through the past week. Did I do the things that I had set out to do at the beginning of the week? Did I stay on top of my plan? What are the things that I need to do dif- differently to check the boxes? And so with that, I just tried to move that forward and, and see if it could be applied to other aspects of my life. And sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't, but it does allow me to, to, to always have some sort of introspection and reflect on on where I, I, I can improve or, or what sort of milestones I did accomplish. And it's great to see that, Oftentimes, we have these struggles in which we're really not, we feel as if we're not uh, progressing the way we should, but then you look back at all your, you know, checkboxes and you realize, I did yeah. accomplish, you know, these things, and, and it does allow you to reflect and say, you know what, I'm not as, uh, you know, things aren't as bad as they as, as they oftentimes feel that they are.
3: Yeah, we're our own worst critics.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, Yes, indeed. <laughs>
3: So I want to dig in a little bit more with you. You talked a little bit about that giving of time, talent, and treasure. So can you talk to us a little bit more? How did you start actually getting involved with some of the causes that you're so passionate about? I know Cameron talked about your, you know, giving and activism and all of that. Can you talk to us about how you started? How did you get involved?
2: I, that, that really starts with uh, faith and family. Just my grandparents, parents really uh, instilled uh, upon us just, just, having a big family and, and giving back now mind you my uh, father didn't come from a, a he didn't have a, a brother or a sister he was the only child but the extended family was very big and it really created that whole sense of of a village and coming from the south during the 40s to the pacific northwest they really had to lean on each other to really get through and i, I think that was instilled in our dna and passed down to us you know through the generations. so with that my wife had that same sort of uh, notion of, of really adopting a family each, each year for Christmas, and just doing the little things. And so expanding upon that, going to Xavier University in New Orleans, Louisiana, historically Black College University, and joining uh, the fraternity Alpha Psi Alpha, the, the, the motto is Manly Deeds, Scholarship, and Love for All Mankind. And just really that whole notion of being servants, servants of all, first of all, servants of all, we can transcend all. That whole notion of we can really help the community through, through our actions, through our deeds, and, and really helping each other out. So with that, mentoring has always been a big aspect of my life, volunteering, participating and really helping that next generation of individuals to come and, and, and follow in the footsteps. Understanding that on the shoulders of giants we stand and, and the, the African principle of Sankofa just reaching back and giving back has, has really led to uh, participation with Dr. Dale Opoderudu and Daniel Opadurudu and their organization, Black Men and White Coats. Who look to really impact the next generation of Black physicians by helping those individuals understand that they can become uh, Black physicians. Uh, black physicians represent 2% of the, of the healthcare community. And uh, we need to improve that because in, in, by doing that, we can improve the health of, uh, of uh, Black men and, and, and Black Americans. And when we improve that, uh, and when we improve th- that health demographic, we'll be able to improve the, 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 the overall health of, of the community and, and society. Mm.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Can you, okay. So you walked right into it. So I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on a couple of these <laughs> things because I, I love, you told me so many good things. The one thing I literally, I stole this from the words out of your mouth and I've quoted it probably a dozen times since then. So you said, you know, all these years you had watched all these great causes around you. And eventually you just said to yourself, you know what, it's time that I put my money where my heart is and started getting involved. I've loved it. I've literally quoted that a dozen times since we talked the first. So let's, let's talk a little more about some of these amazing missions that you're involved with today. And these are, these are fantastic organizations and they really are tackling the things like the healthcare and the social disparities, and then improving the number of, you know, black men, men are entering medicine. So talk about black men in white coats, just a little about what the mission is, how it's helping the cause. And let's say if a doctor is listening in or maybe a decision maker uh, in an educational institution, how can they get involved?
2: Great, Thank, thanks for that question. So Black Men in White Coats really is the brainchild of Dr. Dale Okudurudu and his brother, Dr. Daniel Okudurudu, a pulmonologist, endocrinologist out of Texas. And it was really looking at the fact that the, the, the number of Black men entering into med school is, is almost at its lowest since 1978. And, and so he really went on this, when this report came out in regards to the low numbers of of, of Black men entering into medical school, Dr. Dale went on a mission to figure out why and really created this movement to to change that. And Black Men and White Coats is really a movement about trying to increase the number of of young Black men entering into medical school and really trying to create that school to med school pipeline so that we can have more Black physicians. And, And the need for that is because there's a correlation between the races of a, of a black physician with a, a black male and, and really that impacting overall health care from the standpoint of, of rates of compliance as well as just overall rates of, of, of better health. And uh, When you look at infant mortality, there are studies to support that when you have that racial congruence, there's a, a sense of overall better health care. And so to that mm. point, the, the movement is one of, this is one in which we can, impact positively healthcare disparities and, and, and rape, and preventing rates of early death. So that looks like mentoring. So we help individuals, the, the organization helps individuals with mentoring, giving individuals, uh, similar to what we talked about before those steps that path that some, that some of us just don't have, if we didn't have physicians in our family. And so when you don't have a physician in your family, or you don't have a physician that you can ask of these hard questions of what do I do next? what happens when I fall, what should my my resume look like, my essays look like, or uh, helping me to interview for different positions. That's important. And and it's really having that support and and mentoring network to help individuals get to the next stage. So with that, Dr. Dale had the audacious dream of creating a a documentary. And uh, he did that. And when he uh, was looking for help in trying to get this documentary off the ground, when he told me the story about what he wanted to do, I was, I was beside myself and, and just felt that you know this was something that I wanted to put uh, my, my full weight and support behind And with that, I signed on as an associate producer, which really meant just helping Daniel, or excuse me, helping Dale with his vision come to life, investing in him and investing in his dream and his vision. And that investment was not just an investment in this documentary, but an investment in, in this movement Of really trying to create more black doctors and that just Mm kind of led to me investing in other aspects and really looking at other ways that i could really put my money where my heart is as far as those those movements or those things that that really speak to my passion and 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 frankly just move me you know when i hear someone talk about something that really moves them and you and you feel that in your heart in your soul i I mean it's tough to say no to and argue with it no, you can't. And, and, and you shouldn't. And I've learned early on that when you feel that when you have that feeling to go with it, and I've, you know, it may not be the best, you know, sort of advice financially, but I can honestly <laughs> say that, you know, I know financial advice, may I say, you know, just uh, invest with your heart, but it, the, what you get back is, is, is exponential. You know, I, I may not get the money that I got back in, in, in creating the documentary, but the the the, the support, the love, the, the seeing, the, the, the eyes bright up, the seeing more and more kids uh, interested in the field, and that's more than, than its weight in gold or money or any other riches that, that you can really count on. Uh, because what you're doing is providing life to a community, to, to, to a people, and that's important. Yeah,
1: you can't measure that ROI. I mean, to, to, be, exactly. to be frank, I mean, we... We always really advocate, and that's the reason why it's important when we work with clients and we work with our doctors, we want to know things that are what are your priorities, what are your values, what is your vision, because at the end of the day, I mean, money is a tool, but if it's not being leveraged for things that truly bring that enjoyment, and the pleasure, and the, the sense of fulfillment, uh, I mean, what's the point of you all, you know, going to school for fourteen years, working these long hours to hope that you could use your money for something in the future? So, I, I absolutely love what you're doing, and I love the fact that you're leading with your heart. So. I want you to talk, I mentioned you were an author. You got to talk about your book and just correct me if I'm wrong, but it is the, you mentioned earlier, Dr. Daniel Williams, and that is the, the person you, you talk about in the Heart of a Hero book, correct?
2: That is absolutely correct. So yes, the, the name of the book is The Heart of a Hero, the Dr. Daniel Hale Williams story. And you know, the, the, the impetus for the book was, it goes back to, to, to Dr. Dale. So in, in the midst of us creating the documentary, Dr. Dale has these black men and white coat summits, these, opp- these summits in which kids have the opportunity to put on a white coat to kind of see what it's like to be a doctor, to mm-hmm. ask doctors that look like them any questions that they may have. There's a panel, there's seminars, there's opportunities to learn first aid and CPR. Well, during one of these summits in Chicago, Senator Dick Durbin gave a story about Dr. Daniel Hill Williams as Dr. Williams' a significant amount of his life uh, in Chicago. And in listening to the story at the summit, I was, you know, again, I was moved to hear the senator to give the story. And I felt that, you know, it, it moved me to the point of being able to wanting to, to, to write the story from my perspective, to, to, to really give Dr. Daniel Hale-Williams' life a, a new perspective or a new look and, and do it in such a way in which it would inspire uh, the next generation of physicians to, to walk in his path. And so with that, I went on the journey of creating a children's book. I never did anything like that before. It was a lot of fun. It was more work than I, what I thought it was going to be. But <laughs> it, it really helped me. It was And it was a sense of therapy because I did this during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so it really allowed me to kind of uh, go into my own mode, put the blinders on. But yet at the same time, I used my kids and my nephew as, as book editors. So they took a look at the book. They took a look at the photos and kind of helped me edit it and change. It's cheap labor, and,
1: right
2: there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but they were they were great. And so to really see the 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 look on my nephew's face uh, when he realized that this was a real story, and to see how. Him taking a break from his video games and being so excited to read this book, I, I had to, I, the inkling that this was going to be something amazing because of if, my, if this could capture my nephew's attention, then uh, I definitely did something right. But the process was truly amazing. It was truly fun. But to see the, the response from the reviews and, and the kids that have, have read the book and, and even the adults. And I mean, this is a story for, for all of us. I mean, I think that this mm-hmm. is a great American story of individuals seeing things that he didn't like, seeing disparity, and getting the whole community involved to change it. And it's a story of sponsorship, of mentorship, of, of really sticking with a job and, and really find, having a dream and a vision and uh, really helping others as you go along. And so I encourage everyone. And, and really, when we talk about putting our money in what the, uh, where, our, where our, our heart is, I mean, you know, I, this is something in which um, I encourage people to go out and, and purchase five books because those are five books that you could give to to a, 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 a little kid or, or or to someone in your neighborhood, and, and it's really been that opportunity that when I see. Uh, kids out and about or, or see someone to be able to give them that to hopefully inspire them. And that's really the, the, the purpose. That's the, the, why I wrote the book. It's not about, uh, as we talked about before, the, the return of investment of, of creating the book, but more so the return of investment of creating a, a more empathetic society, physicians that really care and, and really showing that this is a field for anyone that really has the desire Uh, To help other people, and and it goes back to the question that you guys uh, mentioned earlier: How can healthcare be used to really bring people together? And so this is my humble way in in trying to do that by by really creating more physicians that 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 look like me, so that we can all have a seat at the table and really have these heart-to-heart discussions about how we can make a better society for everybody.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing, and and what a what a testament to taking something that you hear and feel passionate about and actually, you know, following it through, what a fantastic story. And the last one you got to talk about, I swear, this is probably one of the most creative business models I've ever heard of in my entire life, but you you currently serve as the uh, chief medical officer for a company called Live Chair Health. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah,
2: so Live Chair Health, it's an exciting organization uh, headed by a great CEO by the name of Andrew Thug. A, a young man from historically black college university, Claflin university, and also another member of a uh, uh, great fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha, who had this idea, uh, he initially wanted to help barbers be better businessmen and women. So he had a, a scheduling and booking app. And as he was progressing through the company really building this company, his, his health started to, go, to decline as well as his father's health. And his father was diagnosed with an early stage congestive heart failure. And during this journey, in which Andrew is learning about his own health and his father's health, he came across the, the information that we in the healthcare community know pretty well—that of healthcare disparities, black men and women dying earlier than our white counterparts, and, and really the rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, and, and early preventable death. And he figured, you know, why does this happen? And if individuals are going to the barbers, the barbershop, and stylist so often, how can we leverage this 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 connection, this this area of trust? In a way to improve to improve health within the community. This led him to do some research. And the research that he came across is research that we know in the community, as far as the barbershop studies that the work, the pioneering work that had been done in the 60s and the 70s in regards to this. Doctors Elijah Saunders and B. Wang Kong, some of the first pioneers that have really looked at leveraging these these spaces of trust barbershops and churches as ways in, uh, in, to lower uh, high blood pressure first by monitoring the individuals uh, uh, screening and monitoring and then educating and really helping individuals understand why they have high blood pressure how to treat it how to manage it unfortunately the study showed that these that these interventions work but unfortunately it never really seemed to catch on oftentimes that these programs would be grants or other sort of philanthropic uh, dollars behind it. But once the grants or the dollars ran out, the programs would often run out. And so Andrew took the, the, the proactive approach of trying to create a model that would be sustainable and uh, scalable, meaning something that could, could be here for years to come and be able to be transferred across, you know, throughout the country. And so Live Chair Health, was, was re, uh, reborn and branded. And uh, what we do is we look to leverage the trust that, that we in the Black community have with our barbers, our, our hairstylists, and our, our churches, and use that as places that we can deliver healthcare. First by uh, screening. So we do a health risk uh, screen assessment. Individuals come into the barbershop. We ask them to, uh, to download our app. And so with a QR code, they're able to get the app and in the app, we asked them a series of questions. During COVID-19, one of the first things that we did was we helped the barbers reopen their shops, helping them to kind of navigate that SBA Gov process, because these entrepreneurs weren't getting the the, the bailouts that we saw in the, the big banks, the, the airline industries, and a lot of these other industries got. These individuals weren't getting uh, that financial relief, so we helped them with that. Then we helped them with the uh, the process of reopening, providing PPE, and then connecting barbers and and stylists in these barbershops with healthcare networks, healthcare partners. So we were able to establish networks with the LifeBridge Health. And this past weekend, we had our kickoff event in Baltimore, Maryland, in which we were able to screen people for high blood pressure also COVID-19, but at the same time, we were also able to, to provide the vaccine for individuals. And so what we're doing is bringing um, healthcare directly to where people are. So deli- so mm-hmm. providing health to where we all go and we all trust. And, and what you find in these institutions is, or in these places, barbershops, hair salons, churches, people will go to them on a regular basis, you know, every yeah. two weeks, every once a month, every week for church. And so these are places that we need to use them as, as places of, of, of healing because they've uh, provided so much to the community. I think it's a, a, a great opportunity to, to collaborate with traditional practices and in a non-traditional way.
3: I love that idea of meeting the community where they already are. <laughs> That's the best way to meet a need is to bring it to them. That's amazing. I, while you and Cameron were diving into all of these incredible things that you do, I bought my five books on Amazon. So (laughs) hopefully (laughs) others who are listening will be doing the same. It's heart of a hero. I love what you said, Stephen, here as we kind of wrap up. One, I've always loved this, this quote, you can't be what you can't see. And I love that the theme in so much of what you've done is really to, you know, use your journey and where you've been able to get. Um, along with others to help show other young black men that they too can be a doctor. And if they're interested in helping people, that medicine is a great path that they can take to do that. So I just love the work that you're doing there. I really like what you said Mm -hmm. about investing with your heart and almost assuming that Cameron and I being financial planners would kind of laugh that off. Cameron already alluded to the fact that that's (laughs) exactly what we want to help doctors do. (laughs) is figure out what it is that matters to them, and then use their money as a tool to be able to accomplish that, right? Whether that's something for themselves and their own posterity, or whether that's something for the broader community causes that they care about. So I'd love to have you as we wrap up here, tell us a little bit about as you think about your own journey toward building wealth, what does it mean to build wealth that matters?
2: Well, that's a big question. Great question. The wealth that matters. For me, wealth that matters, I guess it really goes back to, you know, the premise of a uh, faith, family and culture. Wealth that matters uh, should, represent, should reflect my faith in tithing. So giving back to the community or you know, too much has been given, you know, much should be, uh, you, know, we, we're, you know, we're almost obligated to, to give in return. And so with that being said, tithing 10% has always been a part of, you know, my faith. And so I think that a big part of wealth the wealth should be should be should be that should reflect my faith as far as family generational wealth and so that's one thing that i think that wealth that matters for me is uh, generational wealth and to that point planting that seed within my family for the generations to come that you know generational wealth looks like being able to give back being able to take care of your family but also being able to give back and that and that being a central premise going back to the, the faith aspect and then mm-hmm. culture, being able to to help the community, being able to help the village, and and, and understand that at some point we're all going to need some help. And so what to be for for me to be wealthy means that you can do the things that you need to do, but at the same time being able to help others. And so it may not necessarily be a, a particular sort of dollar amount, but rather mm-hmm. a, a a feeling and really an ethos as far as. able to give back in any way that you possibly can because some of us may not be have a lot of financial dollars in the bank but we have a lot of financial capital elsewhere uh in the empathy that we can provide in the in the in the the food and the spiritual feeding that we can give to people whether it's physical food or or some other type of food so for me wealth that matters is a matter of uh, giving truly with your heart but also uh, planting that seed for my family so that that legacy can be can be left and that's the legacy that my grandparents in my family, left to me, that notion of even if we have a little, we still try to help out our fellow brother and sister and our fellow uh, community member, and nothing is uh, too small to, to to someone in need.
3: Yeah, no, I love that, and I I had to chuckle that even in your answer to that less tangible question. You had your check boxes of faith, family, and culture.
2: <laughs> That's right. I can't I can't get away. It's so hard. <laughs> That's great. Okay.
1: That's okay. We're listen, we're all some recovering type A's right here together. So we're, right we're on figure. this, we're on this path together. So if I'm so to, so to summarize, I keep hearing a few like main missions right now in your life. And so I'll just wrap up with this and then you can add anything that we might be missing, but number one, I mean, it shines through and through multiple times. You've mentioned this educating our children. And whether it's your own family or whether it's somebody that you know, whether it's just a a person you've never met, but taking and investing the time, the energy, the resources is likely the most, it's the most generational return on our investment that we could get. And it sounds like multiple times over. Whether it's being a mentor or finding a mentor, it sounds like that relationship with somebody who's willing to spend the time and the energy, no questions are off the table, just ask me what's on your mind and let's talk through this has been a really, really big factor in your life. It also sounds like there's a critical need to increase the number of black men in medicine today. So there are a number of reasons that you talked about uh, the diversity is needed in medicine, but at the heart of it, in the heart of why most people go to be a doctor is that if research has proven that black patients benefit most from seeing black doctors, that's the only answer we need. If we want to optimize patient care, then we need to continue fighting the battle of these diminishing numbers of minorities entering into medicine and making sure that the patient care is the, at at the forefront of every decision that we make. And that also it's important to have and be deliberate. We always talk about being intentional with our decisions and our time and in our energy, being intentional about what is that short-term and long-term vision and taking stock of what you have and where you are, but more importantly, where you want to be. And it's a great tool to hold yourself accountable. For us, it's our wives holding us accountable, but it's good to have that vision. And especially if you share that with your family, that's so powerful. I mean, that is, it's very rare to see, but if you can sit down and have those big, 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 you know, picture discussions with family, and then ultimately you guys can decide Hey, if my money that I'm working so hard for isn't working to achieve some of these big picture goals I'm working towards, then you're missing out on something. You might not realize it, but there's some sort of void that you have that you're just not hitting right now. And your wealth should be supporting your faith, your family, and your culture. Like you mentioned so many times, anything I missed, or is that a decent summary of what we talked about?
2: No, that's a great summary uh, as far as what we talked about. And you know, to that, I, I think that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that with Sales for the Heart of the Hero uh, goes to support the, the Delano Gaming Initiative, which is my own effort to, to really inspire the next generation of esports gamers to really think about uh, medicine as a career. And again, that whole notion of really trying to get the next generation of individuals into into medicine and part of that is pursuing their interests. And my son is a big video gamer. And with him participating in esports and, and video games, it was one of the things that really opened my eyes. And as a robotic surgeon, seeing the correlation between robotics and surgery, as well as video games and virtual reality, it just seems like a natural fit to really try to- How cool. Uh, and, encourage individuals to take that passion. And I think that when you look at the growth of eSports, especially in COVID-19, the, the number of scholarships that are being that are starting to be given for uh, eSports, as well as universities having eSport teams, the NBA having their eSport League, I think it's an opportunity that we can leverage as a society to, to bring a, a, a new group of, of individuals into the realm of science, technology, engineering, arts, math, and medicine through eSports. And so I appreciate the support, appreciate being here with you guys today. And again, that was a great recap. So really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Absolutely. No, the pleasure's all ours, Stephen. So thank you so much for taking the time. We're going to make sure that we put all the links for uh, Heart of a Hero and links for Black Men and White Coats and make sure that if any of these items are of interest to you, make sure that you're connecting with Stephen. He's all over social media on LinkedIn. So again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for everybody out there listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a new episode. And until next time, take care and stay safe.
0: Thank you for listening to the Doctors' Eyes Only podcast. We hope today's conversation advanced your journey to wealth that matters. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. We'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Vesti Advisors LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as legal or tax advice and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified attorney or tax advisor. This information is not an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Before investing, you should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses associated with investment products. Investment decisions should be made based off an individual's goals, time horizon, and tolerance for risk. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decisions. Investment advisory services offered through Vestia Personal Wealth Advisors, Vestia Retirement Planning Consultants, and Vestia Advisors, LLC. Securities offered through Osdell Financial Partners, Inc., 5187 Utica Ridge Road, Davenport, Iowa, 52807, 563 member FINRA SIPC. Vestia Personal Wealth Advisors, Vestia Retirement Plan Consultants, Vestia Advisors, LLC, and Osdol Financial Partners, Inc. are independently owned and operated.